Okay, now's the time for our sermon Bible reading. For the sermon passage for today, and for many of us studies this week too, be Colossians 3, verses 15 through to 17. Just a short reading. <clears throat> Colossians 3, 15 to 17. <clears throat> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good day, everyone, and thanks, Steve and Adam, for reading for us. <clears throat> Just a couple of verses for us to reflect on together this morning. So keep uh, Colossians 3 open and let's pray once again. Our Father, we thank you so much <clears throat> for your word and ask this morning that it would dwell amongst us richly that indeed the gospel would do its gracious and glorious work in our hearts and our minds in our church and that you would do this for Jesus sake amen well ask literally anyone what made our Democracy Sausage Day so successful here last Saturday, and they will definitely tell you it was the Fenway Frank-inspired Boston Red Sox baseball-inspired uh, American hot dog slice down the face of the bread roll, not through the belly, but through the face of the bread roll, right? It's doing the kind of Fenway Frank slice down the face of the bread roll that enables the sausage to have such a snug fit. And it also enables all the condiments to kind of get maximum coverage. And so you have a happy democracy sausage day. Right? And uh, it was a glorious sight as all the different condiment varieties were kind of made use of and embraced. Uh, we had certain variety. We had the classic, onions and tomato sauce, of course. We had uh, um, many self-declared individuals who thought that they were the only person who did both barbecue and tomato. Um, we had those who were committed to the idea but not the reality, who just took the bread and the onions with no sausage. We had those who said, what do you mean you don't have vegan sausages? We had the, don't you know that these things are carcinogenic? We had all the things. 
But as you think about your democracy sausage now <laughs> and your condiment options and your preferred combinations, we need to be reminded from the book of Colossians that following Jesus is not like that at all. That following Jesus is not like your preference, your taste, your mood or your diet. He's not someone to be enjoyed or left off depending on the day or depending on the other options available to you. Jesus is not like the condiments. No, chapter 1, verse 6, he is the one, the one by whom and for whom everything, that's you, was created. He is the one, chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 9, in whom all the fullness of God is to be found. You can't just leave him aside or pick and choose depending on how you fancy. He is the one by whom God is reconciling all things to himself, as Michael Duckett so helpfully has already reminded us this morning making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so, chapter 3, verse 3, Christ is your life. That is the reality that needs to be embraced and lived out by anyone who would call themselves a Christian, by anyone who is trusting and following Jesus. He's not a hobby, he's not a habit, he is your life. In him you live and you move and you have your being. And so we were challenged last week to therefore set our hearts and minds on things above, because that's where our life is, in Christ. And this isn't some nebulous platitude, it's not some kind of uh, optimistic escapism. To set your mind and your heart on Jesus is to live a new life, the new life that lines up with His kingdom. To set your heart and mind on things above where Jesus is, is to have your heart shaped by Him so that you love what He loves and you hate what He hates. It's to have your mind shaped by His mind so you think His thoughts after Him. And as we seek to apply that to our church here at All Saints, as we explore how then we live that out as belonging to Jesus and to one another, we're reminded that the new life that we have in Jesus is one that is lived in proximity to one another, as Georgia reminded us already. We need each other. The Christian life is not a solo sport. It is a together thing, it's a one another thing. We need to be so close to one another, we need to spend so much time together that we have to bear with each other. We have to spend so much time together and be involved with one another that we have to be patient with one another and forgive like the Lord forgave us. And the key to it, as we saw at the end of our section last week, is the love of the Lord Jesus that we need to be clothed in because that's what binds everything and holds the whole show together. 
And so the challenge is to think then, how are we going to do that? What kind of muscles do we have to exercise? What kind of habits do we need to have? What kind of patterns of life do we need to express in order for this to be a reality? And as you read Colossians 3, I said last week, I think, that if you read Colossians 3, I'm sure we would all say, when it says the things that we're to put on, we would say, yes, I want to be more like that. And when he says the things to put off and get rid of, I'm sure we want to say, yes, I want to be less like that. But the challenge is to actually do it. Because we know that the Christian life, when it comes to growing more like Jesus and being renewed into the image of our Creator, it can feel glacially slow. And we can feel like progress is kind of microscopic. And it can feel like sometimes maybe we've even gone backwards. And it's easy to be discouraged. And it's easy to be resentful as we look at the lives of other people. And that's definitely the challenge for the Colossian church. Because the false teachers were coming in and saying, yeah, you're feeling discouraged. You're feeling like progress is slow. You're feeling like you're being left behind and that other people are pushing forward. Well, here's the secret. And Paul says, no, no, no. The secret, the mystery, that's already been revealed. It's in Jesus. It's more of Him. It's remaining in Him. It's being rooted and grounded in Him. It's continuing just as you started. And so, once again, as we think about what the heartbeat of this new life, the driving force of this new life is, Paul just keeps pointing us and pointing us and pointing us to Jesus. What's the secret? What's the heartbeat? What's the driving force of the Christian life that's lived not just on your own during the week, it's lived together, the one anotherness of it? What is it? It's the peace of Christ. It's the Word of Christ. It's the name of Jesus that enables us to live it out. And so in these three great verses, it's the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ, which drives this all forward. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. It's the peace of Christ, the peace of that Jesus both embodies and the peace that he brings. He brings peace with God through his bloodshed on the cross and he lives at peace with those around him. I was talking to a friend the other day in the midst of an extraordinary conflict and as he was talking about the pain of it and the anxiety of it and the stress of it, I said, how, are you, how do you keep on going? And he said, at the moment when this conflict was at its biggest and everything was blowing up, he said, I walked into that meeting and just decided by the grace of God that I would be the least anxious person in the room. There's something compelling about a non-anxious presence, isn't there? There's something comforting, there's something calming about it. 
But the peace of Christ isn't just about us having this non-anxious presence or about us walking into a room and having a sense of calm about us. The peace of Christ is all about relational peace and relational calm. Because see how he says, it's since as members of one body you were called to peace. The picture of peace, the peace of Christ that's ruling your heart is a recognition that it is the the gospel of peace that has united you to this motley crew of other Christians. And so as you walk through the room, through the doors, into the room, no doubt there are people in the church who are from different background to you, who have different capacity and gifts to you, who have very different personalities and personal stories to you, who have very different preferences and tastes to you. For the Colossians, they're dealing with all kinds of racial and cultural barriers that the gospel of peace has torn down in order to unite them into the one body of the Lord Jesus. And Paul's challenge is is that if that is the case, if it's the gospel of peace that's brought you to Jesus and joined you to his body, then you need to let that gospel of peace, that reconciling power, that wholeness and well-being of being united to Jesus, you've got to let that rule in your hearts so that your relationships with one another as one members of one body would be relationships of peace. Talk about a non-anxious presence. Imagine a room where all the opposition and angst, all the divisiveness and otherness that our world is characterised by, where all of that is swept aside by the peace that comes through the cross, through the reconciling love of God seen in Jesus and experienced in his death and resurrection. And that's crucial for us as we belong to Jesus and to one another so that we might be demonstrably and obviously one body with one common mind that is Jesus' mind and one common heart that is Jesus' heart and one common mission that is Jesus' mission. I was uh, listening to an interview this week by comedian Dana Carvey, who was talking about that wonderful cultural moment in Wayne's world back in whenever it was, the 90s, where he created this, his character creates this, this mechanical hand that kind of, when Rob Lowe walks into the room, the mechanical hand comes to life and runs away, all right? Dana Carver was talking about the process of of wondering, do we keep this weird scene in the movie or not? And them deciding, yes, because in 20 years' time, we want to enjoy seeing this wacky scene, right? But that mechanical hand had me thinking during the week. Here's the strange non sequitur. 
The mechanical hand had me thinking during the week about the one-bodiness of the church and the weirdness of having limbs and parts of the body who are running off in different directions, concerned with their own interests. And the picture of peace and being united in Jesus with a common mind and a common heart. Because if we are recipients of the reconciling and peacemaking work of Jesus, then we ought to be peacemakers and peace seekers ourselves, without division and without hostility, without the passive aggression or the active aggression, but the gracious peacemaking and peace-seeking Jesus people who are part of his body. So let me ask you a tough question, as Mike would say. When it comes to your life and not just your Sunday, do you spend too much time with people who are just like you? Do you find yourself not willing to walk across the room to embrace difference and to live with difference and to demonstrate the way the peace of Jesus has shattered division and aggression and hostility? And are you willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of demonstrating the peacemaking and peace-seeking gospel of the Lord Jesus. One of my highlights this week was watching one of our growth groups serve dinner and eat dinner with our Hub of Hope on Tuesday night and just seeing the ragtag bunch of people in that room sharing a meal and the beauty of seeing young people being willing to share the gospel in the midst of that too. It's the peace of Christ that rules in the church. Secondly, it's the word of Christ that dwells richly. Have a look at verse 16. Let the message or the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, once again, it's the one anotherness of the Word that dwells richly among us as God's people. That we're not just recipients of a monologue, we're participants in the building up of one another in the body by God's Word. That we receive God's Word in order for us to share God's Word with those around us. And the the message of Christ, the Gospel, dwelling among you richly is that picture of God's Word having the rule, the abiding rule in our common life together. That when you think about what shapes what happens among us as a church, when you think about our priorities, 
when you think about what value we place on different things and what we we have at the very centre of how we do things and what we do and, and why we do it, it is God's Word that has that authority as it dwells richly among us. That's how we think about faith and action and life together and maturity and change and church direction and church growth. It happens by God's Word. Our dear friend Peter O'Brien writes it like this, here we want to see that the Gospel has its gracious and glorious way with our lives. As we sit under God's Word, as we read it, as we inhale it, (laughs) as we allow it to take root in our lives, will we let it have its gracious and glorious way with us? So that we don't come to God's Word seeking the verses that affirm us in what we already think and say and do. But we allow God's Word to, to, to challenge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. That we allow God's Word to judge us rather than us judging God's Word. And we do this in such a way that we might teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as we not only receive God's Word but respond to it through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Wherever the Word of God has taken root and dwelt richly among God's people, singing has been present. as lives and hearts and minds respond to God's Word. It's so big and extraordinary. It's so wonderful and joyous that our hearts overflow and we can't help but sing. Friends, it has nothing to do with your singing ability. It has everything to do with your joyful response to the Gospel. And as we join our voices to the voices of those around us, we are teaching one another, which is why we care about the songs that we sing. We're bringing God's Word to bear on one another's lives. As one writer has said, a church that is happy and joyfully responding to Jesus will be one where the Word of God is richly and readily available. And so the question for you today is, will you allow the message of Christ, His Gospel, to have its gracious and glorious way with your life? Letting Him judge you letting Him challenge and correct you, letting Him train you in righteousness for His sake. And are you willing to be influenced 
by other members of the body? Are you ready and quick to listen as other members of the body seek to bring God's word to bear on your life? Or are you too confident in your own maturity and too confident in your own opinion? That you can't be influenced by someone else as they respond to Jesus and the grace and truth of his word. What's the driving force? How is it that the new life together in Christ is lived out? The, the, the heartbeat of church life, it's the peace of Christ ruling, it's the word of Christ dwelling richly among us. And it is the name of Christ under which we do everything. Have a look at verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, is meant to cover the entirety of life, that there is nothing that sits outside of, uh, outside of your life under which Christ uh, makes his claim. Let me say this again with the words that are actually on my paper. That there isn't a square inch of your mind, heart, body, your words, actions, attitudes that Jesus doesn't have authority over. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. His name, it's, it's by His name that we are saved. It's by His name that we are brought to life. It's into his name that we are baptised. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to let his name, his character, his word, his mission and his majesty drive and direct all that we do and all that we are. To come back to our democracy sausages, you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to leave Jesus out of certain parts of your life and compartmentalise in order that you might cling on to some of your own desires. Now, Jesus' name, his authority, his mission and his majesty reach in to every square inch of your life and say, Mine. And what's the thing that ties all of these things together? What's the thing that I have skipped over from each of the verses so far and hopefully you're crying out saying, Ben, you've missed it. Go back. Wrong way. The consistent theme through all of it, verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16 with gratitude in your heart. Verse 17, giving thanks to God. How will we know if the peace of Christ and the word of Christ and the name of Christ is ruling in our church? 
will be overflowing with thankfulness. Because we will be a church full of people who know that we are saved by grace, we are kept by grace, that we take each step by grace. And so we receive what Jesus has done with thankfulness at the extraordinary gift of the gospel. The peace of Christ, the message of Christ, the name of Christ will rule this church and give rise to thankfulness rather than resentment, gratitude rather than entitlement, thankfulness and not apathy, thankfulness and not innovation, thankfulness and not manipulation. As Paul writes to a church that is combating dissatisfaction with Jesus, as Paul writes to a church that is struggling to think how do we energise and move forward in our Christian life without leaving Jesus behind, He knows that the greatest combat to the false teachers who are coming into this church is to cultivate thankfulness for all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for you. That is the public disposition of a church, to be thankful. Thankful to God. Well, as we've been coming through the book of Colossians, we've been thinking about what it is that might energise our church, the values that we want to cling to. And hopefully it's obvious from these verses and from what we've seen so far that loving Jesus and loving God's Word are two values that we need to cling to, that need to drive us as a church. But today I think we can add a third one to that recognising that this is for the body of Christ of which we are all members and the one anotherness of responding to Jesus and his word means that we ought to be a church that's driven by a love for God's people. A love for those around us where we want to see a love for Jesus and a love for his word take root and bloom in our lives. So let me remind you of what I said a couple of weeks ago of the kind of strategy statement, who we want to be as a church that our parish council was throwing around a few months ago. Driven by a love for Jesus, a love for God's Word and a love for God's people, we want to be, I think this is on the screen, a cross-generational missionary family who are being prayerfully filled with Jesus' joy and peace in and through a chaotic web of discipling relationships. That chaotic web, that cross-generational missionary family, it's full of all kinds of people and personalities. It's full of all kinds of wonderful gifts and stories. It's a wonderful place for the peace of Christ to rule and the word of Christ to dwell richly. We're asking God that
that all of it would be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and would lead to us overflowing with thankfulness. I'm going to pray that that indeed would be the case. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that Jesus is and all that he's done for us and ask that you would allow the peace of the gospel, the peace of our Lord Jesus that he promised to give, that you would allow it to rule in our hearts and we would be thankful and that the message of Christ would dwell amongst us richly that we would be able to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, that we would overflow with gratitude in our hearts as we sing and respond day by day to what Jesus has done for us. So, Father, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, whatever we say, whatever we think, May all of it be in the name of the Lord Jesus as we give thanks to you through him. Amen.